0: The Spiel is sponsored by TimeWellsPent.org, who would like to remind you that any time
1: spent playing games is time well spent. From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 37. Off the map. So hello there and welcome to The Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. And we are finally, at long last, (laughs) back to our regularly scheduled format here on The Spiel after sort of the convention season. (laughs) It seems like it's been like a year (laughs) since we've done a normal episode. It really hasn't been that long since we just did Bullet Barons back at the beginning of August. But really it does feel like uh, it's been quite a while since we can settle back into our our comfort zone here and and just talk about games until... uh, or blue in the face, or you're sick of it, and you turn your iPod off. <laughs> that would never happen. Yeah. I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> um, so after, after the cons were over, what have you been up to now that you actually have time to breathe? Oh, my gosh. Recovering <laughs> for exactly. the most part and uh, enjoying a, a little bit of downtime, and I've got a film festival coming up here that I'm planning, so it's kind of from the uh-huh. fire into uh-huh. the frying pan, or I guess I said that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> but... Uh, didn't think it was going to come together, but that's hopefully going to be pretty cool. It's all films from people in in Indiana, made in Indiana, or by Indiana filmmakers. At the end of September, so that's cool. Looking forward to that. <laughs> How about you? Not a lot, I actually. Playing some games and reading
0: a lot. Ah, yes. That damn book that we got at Gen Con yes. is a page turner. <laughs> hobby it, games, hobby the games, 100 best, best. one hundred. Exact, exactly. I just once you start reading, you can't stop. There Each one of those essays is so brilliantly written it just sucks you into
1: wanting to go buy that game instantly. <laughs> well maybe we should make it our goal, not if not the next episode, the episode after we'll we'll do a little segment where we talk about Just kind of talk about that you know, book. our yeah. favorite parts of the book because i 'm not as far 'm I'm, I'm into it but i 'm not as far <laughs> into it as you just because of time, not because of right, lack yeah. of interest, believe me.
0: It's, it's, it's been a hoot. I, so I've had to put some of my other stuff, my other reading materials aside so
1: I could just suck that up as <laughs> quick as possible. So <laughs> even though we're uh, back to our normal format here, we're sort of so in the traveling mood since we've been to Origins and we've been, <laughs> I guess, not that far but it feels like you've gone a far away. even though we just went to... Globetrotters! The, all the way to <laughs> the Ohio and then downtown. <laughs> <laughs> but we thought we'd do a couple kind of travel themed games here uh, yeah, that'd be cool. to get back in the groove. So we've got... Uh, On the Underground. And uh, Ten Days in Asia coming up. In, exactly. In cool the little travel-themed kind of games. Of course, we've got... Uh uh, finally, the revelations of some <laughs> contests, which people will be very thankful for, I'm sure.
0: He's like, get that name that game over with, damn it.
1: <laughs> and uh, we've got a really fun sommelier challenge. Game Sommelier finally yep. makes exactly. its return uh, after a long hiatus here. Looking so forward to that. Some cool news. Traveling, traveling out quite away. Yeah, ways with the exactly.
0: <laughs> And uh, kind of interesting, one of the games off our list was actually got to play with a listener, which is kind of neat. So. That's very cool. So I think we should just get get to it.
1: Game news and notes. So at long last, it's time to reveal the answer to the last Name That Game puzzle from episode 34. Um... I I think this puzzle caused more commotion than any other
0: contest (laughs) that we've had because we had tons of entries all going, what in the heck is going on? I think there were probably hundreds of wrong guesses that some of them were awesome. The other ones I'm like, how in the heck could you have come up with that answer?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's definitely one where you wish you could could post all the different crazy (laughs) guesses because half of them I was like, that's wrong, but... I would really love to know how you came up with that. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me exactly. at all. A lot of people sent in actually their thought process and
0: how they came up Which with is it. Very That's cool. Other people just sent the name of the game. I'm like, how
1: in the heck <laughs> I think did so. you arrive at that conclusion? <laughs> I think one of the guesses was like par and I was like, huh. <laughs> but before we get to the <laughs> exactly. answer, yeah. we actually thought we'd play back the clue. Okay. So we can talk about the answer, and you've got it fresh in your mind. So here was the clue: Pittsburgh Terrible.
2: Name That Game!
0: Okay, so now that your mind is refreshed with the pain that is Name That Game, (laughs) we'll try to explain this. Um, For those of you who... Might have figured this out. There's three parts to the clue. So
1: the first part was Stephen in his goofy announcer voice, (laughs) who was supposed to be... Myron Cope of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the inventor of... The actual terrible towel. He actually invented the terrible yes, towel. Yes. Uh-huh. He was the Pittsburgh Steelers NFL football team. He was their radio announcer for a long time. And it's not, a, not a great impression, but it's not a terrible <laughs> one. I got, I got lots of grief for my, my goofy voice saying, Was that supposed to be Chinese? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, wow, man.
0: <laughs> so the first part of the clue was Pittsburgh terrible, which was hopefully going to lead you to the word towel. Based on the pit, the terrible towel that all their fans wave at their games. Giant yellow
1: towel. Exactly.
0: So, from the first part of the clue, you get the word tau. So we move on to the second part of the clue, which was the three quick beeps. The dit dit dit, which is Morse code for the letter S. So you can probably see where this is going. Maybe, you have the first maybe. word is tau, then you have the letter S. And then that takes us to a piece of music, fanfare for the common man. So if anybody's by Aaron Copeland. By Aaron Copeland. Which which,
1: which definitely tripped a lot of people up um, totally unintentionally. Absolutely.
0: That was excellent. <laughs> Everybody was on this Copeland fix. I'm like, doesn't have anything to do with it really. But so we stole from Fanfare for the common man, we just stole the word man out of there. So that you had a tau, the letter S, and the word man. Put that all together and you get tau S man. Tau is man. man.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> Ta-da! Okay, okay. I can hear people turning off their iPods now. <laughs> yeah, if you weren't before, you are now. <laughs> Dave and Mark tried this one out on me, and I, they had me going for a while, and finally when I got it, I was just like, oh, man, you guys are evil. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the
0: first time when we tried it out on you. Like, I got my horn out to do my trumpet out to do the actual dit, dit, dit. And so Mark is going, Pittsburgh terrible. I'm going, dit, dit. On the trumpet, and then we 're playing
1: fanfare for the common man you 're just like, "What the <laughs> hell are you talking about <laughs> so so i 'm with you out there listeners they They stumped me for a good time before i I managed to pull it out but But we actually had many, but I think maybe because we gave a little extra time, we actually had a quite a slew absolutely of, of correct guessers. so now that we put you out of your misery, hopefully we can bring a little joy. To one lucky listener out there who actually got the answer talisman from our, our goofy clue. So here oh, goes. Dave is rolling his die. I'm rolling the dreaded, lucky, seven-sided die. Here we go. And the winner is... Mathen Heiselt Woo-hoo! from Virginia. Congratulations, Mathen. Awesome job, <laughs> He's Mathen. He's been a, a long-time listener and supporter of this spiel, so... Congratulations, Mathen wins a copy of Jensites von Theben, Oh, You uh, lucky dog. From uh, Rio Grande Games courtesy of our great sponsor Timewellspent.org they're providing the prize for name that game. So remember there'll be a new name that game contest here coming up in this episode and remember the rules are a little different now. You have the whole 2 weeks to enter. If you are correct with your guess, you'll be put into the drawing for actually a copy of the game we're actually talking about on the list this time, on the mm. Underground being provided by timewellspent.org. So, uh, look forward to that, and hopefully we'll, we'll stump you and you'll be cursing our names in the <laughs> next couple weeks here for, with that. So, puzzle done, on to news.
0: Excellent. So let me start off with a little bit, some really interesting news about some games that you probably are familiar with, but they, they're they getting a little bit of a facelift, shall we say. <laughs> big
1: time, <laughs> time facelift. So
0: the first game is Kalos, and artist Mike Doyle has been commissioned to redo the artwork and some of the components for a limited print run of Kalos. 500 copies to be exact, and you have to attend Essen to be able to get this. First of all, you have to get online, and you have to pay... It's a I think pre-order. It's, you have to pre-order. You have to pay, is it 15 euros? Yeah, 15. To pre-order it, and then you have to physically show up at Essen and pay the balance of 50 more euros to pick your copy up there. So 65 65 total. euros, which is slightly over 100 bucks Yeah, for this game, but oh my goodness, this is so gorgeous. The box just sort of makes m- my
1: mouth water medieval tapestry esque yeah. on the cover and the the board art has all been done with sort of medieval art and woodcuts and sort of tapestry looking absolutely the, the pieces themselves have even been redone it's just
0: yeah for for this for calist uh, i think the um the king figure is actually a pre-painted miniature
1: oh the, that's right It that looks right. really
0: cool the money is actually metal coins and the board and the tiles have completely been redone by mike the mechanically the game is still the same but oh it doesn't look like the same game at yeah. all it's it's gorgeous <laughs> Dave
1: owns K-Lesson I have to say I do not and I am so sorely tempted I might if there are any uh, European listeners or listeners who are planning on going to Essen I might have to see if I can hook you up with a little cashola I, I'm not totally committed to it yet but <laughs> it is so tempting to it's pre-order sweet. that okay. and see if somebody might be able to pick me up one uh, over in Essen because it's it's totally worth having from what I can see, and I know the game is. is oh, yeah. It's whew, <laughs> it high is caliber. Awesome. Okay, so what are the other. So, the
0: other thing is, Mike is also working with a company called QWG Games, and they're a game company from the Netherlands, and they have actually got the rights to pub- republish several other popular Euro games in their new Master Print Editions line. And basically, in these games, as of right now, they're just changing the box artwork. All the components and stuff will remain the same, but they all have. A design so the box looks like an old bookshelf style game with Serve all it. the gold filigree and it just looks like a book setting on your shelf and they are gorgeous Kind of a tip
1: of the hat to like uh, 3m M, exactly. Avalon hill in a, in a way absolutely their old bookcase games.
0: so the the game's up on that first off is going to be Leonardo da Vinci, followed by Ispahan and then by El capitan. So those are the three games kind of on the list. Um, we'll put all, in the show notes, links. we'll put links to all this stuff up because you've got to see these <laughs> yeah. pictures. We can't
1: do them just as describing yeah. them. You're just going to have to go exactly. and look at these. Exactly. And
0: though. Mike Doyle has reimagined I'm glad tons you that and up tons I was to. of titles. The box art, the components, stuff that hasn't been approved to actually be re-released yet. But we've got games like Tower of Babel, Dune, Amon Ray, Amon Ray Medieval Samurai, Merchant. Medieval Mar I mean, stuff... These things are gorgeous. Yeah. I We own these games already, but I'm so tempted. If, if he were to remake
1: these with this artwork, I'd buy them in heart. <laughs> I love, and his point is kind of that game art, it kind of falls into kind of stereotypical camps. And letting, you know, artists loose on just saying, here's the theme, go nuts. In ways right. that, you know, the typical consumer sort of art level, you might not normally, you know, expect. It's not necessarily representational, in other words, or realistic. But it's just full of style and interest interesting you know choices that even if you don't like them they're worth reacting to just oh, to say, just to see them and and say wow that really hits with me or wow that's totally doesn't make sense at all I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that goes to this site and look, not to find at least one or two games where you just go ooh mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's super cool. <laughs> uh, I have two items of note here. Cool. Uh, the first is sort of a rumor slash fact. I can't really confirm this, so I, I'm going to throw it out there because cool. I think there are people who would be interested if it is, in fact, true. And that is that there might be a re-release in the works for Chinatown, one of those oh. big box games that for some reason Rio Grande... Uh, didn't pick up and has been out of print for a while. But according to BoardGameNews.com, if you look in their Gone Cardboard section, Mm -hmm. there's a a Canadian company called uh, Philosophia Games that's going to be doing a reissue of Chinatown. Um, The details are really sketchy beyond that because if you go to the Philosophia site, they don't make any mention of it anywhere in their stuff. Ah. But BoardGameNews is not known for putting up stuff without having some sort of inside track on on you know, verifying wow. that sort of thing. So I bet there will be details, and I'll, we'll be sure to to let you know when and if we find out what's going on with Chinatown, but that's just a little <laughs> nugget that... Yeah, if that's is, true, that's going to make a lot of people happy. Teased me and went, ooh, when I saw it, so I thought there might be some other people that would just want to have that on their radar. Excellent. Um, the bigger item of note for uh, me is um, this thing called Cyberboard that we actually um, had the luck to meet. Uh, the creator of Cyberboard, uh, Dale Larson, at the Spielathon... Um, at Gen Con, and so this is, it's a board gaming system that you use on your computer. It makes playing board games by mail and electronic mail kind of a more enjoyable experience. I'm going to read a little bit of the canned text just to kind of give you an idea of what it's about. This system allows you to easily graphically design various parts of board games on your computer. Um, players can make their moves and exchange recorded versions of their moves with their opponents. The opponent can then play back the moves so they can see what you've done, as far as how the board, you know, looks differently uh-huh. after their turns. Although many types of games can be created using the Cyberboard system, um, the games that use counters or chits, such as war games, work really particularly well. The thing to keep in mind is it's not an artificial opponent. Um so it doesn't you're not playing against the computer you actually need another human being on the other end I think the main thing to get across is that it's sort of like a toolbox a kit right. for if you if you're at, if you're not able to board game With people around you let's say you're you live in kind of an isolated area you just just don't have gaming friends or people around you this would be a way that if you found the um a game that you wanted to play there are lots of people that have already made game boards and all the counters and pieces that you can just download into this cyber board system that it's just ready to go if you both know how to play those and just use this system to be able to kind of play over distance but it also contains the toolkit to make your own so you can kind of roll your own if you don't have if you don't see what they have. The selection that they have definitely fits into you know their description. A lot of classic Avalon Hill spy games, but a few newer titles as well. So they have things like Napoleon at Waterloo or Diplomacy, but they do have things like Battle Line cool. um, on there or the creature that ate Sheboygan. <laughs> classic. <laughs> Um, I'll put links up, uh, and they have links on their sites to several different like fan. There's a big community around this game, this uh, sort of system that support it and are making different new game boards. So, wow, um, that's... if you're interested in playing board games with other people, either by email or online, it's I think a, a something that I, I was sort of embarrassed once Dale started talking. I was like, wow, I really don't know anything about this at all, <laughs> and I'm and it's really uh, a cool idea, especially if you have people that. Don't live around you, but like playing these kind of games, it might open up playing possibilities for yeah, you. That's so, neat. so check out uh, Cyberboard. Um, their uh, website is cyberboard.brainiac.com, and we'll include all the links in the show notes. The list. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So the first game
0: off the list in this episode, cool thing about this, we got to play this game with a listener, Walter Hunt, a yes. science fiction writer who was going through town with his daughter. And so we had the pleasure of hooking up with him and playing a couple games. It was great. And Walter actually taught us how to play exactly. this game. This game is On the Underground. It was designed by Sebastian Bleasdale. It's co published in 2006 by JKLM Games and Rio Grande Games. It's for two to five players, ages seven and up. List for 40 bucks. You can find it online for between 24 and 32 bucks. So in On the Underground, each player is assigned the task of building the most successful underground. Now depending upon the number of players you have, you'll, you'll have two to four different lines that you'll be building and each one of those lines is represented by a different color of track pieces. During the game, you'll earn points for connecting your lines to special stations and by having the passenger use your lines when traveling from station to station. So. I was misled. I thought this was kind of a typical rail style game, so I didn't really ever I wasn't thinking about picking up. So, Walter brings it into town, we play it, and I'm like, "Wow. <laughs> this is definitely much different than a typical rail game." So, let's take a quick look at the components, see what they do. Uh we start off with the game board. The game board is a really cool map of the London Underground, and this is a, it really is a neat-looking map. You just have to see it to to explain exactly why it
1: looks so cool. Well, and, and when the game is done, the cool thing is it actually looks like a subway map that you would see in London. Oh, it does. You know, it's very recognizable to anybody who's been there. You'd go, hey, I, that, hey that looks yeah, very familiar. Yeah, exactly.
0: So the game board is made up of all the different stations and spaces in between those stations where you're eventually going to lay your track pieces. And then there's a score track around the outside of the board. At the beginning of the game, each player gets a little score token and you'll put it on the track. The interesting thing is everybody doesn't start at zero. The first player Player starts at 0, the second player starts at 1, all the way up to the max number of players. This kind of makes, evens it out a little bit because the people, the players who get to start first do have a slight advantage in this game. So after the board we've got this really cool little wooden passenger pawn. At the beginning of the game the passenger pawn is placed on the board at the Houston station and this is the same at the beginning of every game so it's not random that's where the passenger is always going to start. Then you've got a deck of 45 destination cards. There's one showing each station on the board. Now, some of these are silver cards, and those are normal stations. Other ones are gold cards, and those are the express stations. And those will be important a little bit later. So you shuffle these cards up, and then you turn four face up and land beside the board. Now, these are going to be the possible destinations for the passenger, where the passenger can go at the end of the first player's turn. So keep that in mind for a minute. So there's also four destination pawns. These go on the board to mark those stations, the same stations that are shown on those four cards. So you have a physical representation of exactly which four stations that passenger can possibly travel to.
1: Makes it easier to pick them out on the map because yeah, there are exact. so many little, little yeah, names yeah. on there.
0: Exactly. One of the reasons the map looks so cool <laughs> is because it's kind of busy. <laughs> you know, so this definitely helps you be able to pick that guy out. Uh, there's 190 wooden track pieces. Now, depending upon the number of people playing, you may have personally yourself between 35 and 70 of these that you're (laughs) going to be playing over the course of the game, which is really cool. There's also three other types of wooden counters. The first kind is a start player marker. So however you want to determine your start player, this person gets it. The counter stays with that person the entire game. The importance of this is that when you get to the end game, you need to know who's the start player so everybody gets an even number of turns. Um, there are 21 branch tokens. Usually in the game, when you extend a line, you can only extend it at either end. The branch tokens are going to allow you to actually branch off the middle of one of your lines, which is becomes very important yes. during the game. once the board starts to fill up. <laughs> it gets crazy. So last but not least, we have eight connection tokens. There's two each of four different types. At the start of the game, these are placed randomly on the board in designated stations. So... They're always the same markers, but they're going to be in different... They're going to be in the same places, but you're never sure which one's going to be where at the start of every game. That pretty much is the components. So let's move on to a traditional game turn.
1: Those little tokens, too, have like little icons on them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're little sort of, I think there's like
0: a purse and a... A computer.
1: A computer, exactly. Like
0: so during the game, if you could build a line from computer icon to the other one with the computer icon, you could earn yourself some points. So let's take a look at a typical turn... Basically, there's kind of three parts to a turn. You get to lay track, move the passenger, and then kind of do a cleanup after your turn. So let's look at the first part. On your turn, you can lay up to four pieces of track. At the start of the game, you can begin your lines anywhere that you want. However, once you start a line, now you can only extend it. You can't start restart that line somewhere else on the board. So once you lay a blue track, all of your blue tracks are always gonna be contiguous from that point. for every track piece that you don't lay, you can collect, you can choose to collect a branch token. So s- since you can lay four tracks, you could possibly, instead of, you just lay no tracks and collect four branch tokens. Or lay two tracks, collect two branch tokens. Sky's the limit, any combination of four that you want to do. Once you're done laying the tokens and or collecting your, or laying your track pieces and or collecting the branch tokens, Um, you can now score points. And what you're going to score points for is for the different types of stations you manage to hook up to just this round. So if you connect to a national rail station, and those are designated designated by a cool little icon on the board, you can earn one point. If you connect to a terminus or the end of a line, you get two points and a bonus branch token, which is cool. If you connect two stations with the same type of those connection markers we were talking about before, like a computer icon, one to another one with the computer, that's worth three points. And then finally, once it's kind of tough to do, if you can create a loop, you get one point for each station that is contained inside that loop. So actually not on the loop, but physically inside of the loop. And you actually score all those different types of points as soon as you're finished laying your track pieces, which is pretty cool.
1: So if you lay one, if you connect to one thing, you might score a point. Exactly. And you lay a couple more and that ends the line, you score those points immediately.
0: Exactly, get them, bam. So then you move to the second part (laughs) of your turn, which is the crazy insane part. And that's the passenger movement. Now, there's a whole truckload of things to determine exactly how, when, why, and where the passenger's going to go, where he's going to go. We'll start off with the destination cards and the destination pawns, because these are the possible places where he can go. Uh, First of all, the two types of destination cards, we've got the express ones, which are gold, the standard ones, which are silver. If there are any of those gold express cards face up... The passenger is guaranteed to go to one of those first. That's where he's that's his first stop. Exactly. If there's more than one, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um once he goes to a gold station or an express station, then he's gonna travel to one normal station or silver station. If there are no gold, then he's just gonna go to one silver station this turn and that's it. Period. So now once you've decided kind of where he might go, how does he decide where he goes? Yeah, which
1: what his destination exactly. is gonna this,
0: be. It's funky. took me about half the game to wrap my brain around this bad (laughs) boy. So he's kind of a lazy passenger. So the first thing is he's going to choose a route that involves the least amount of walking, which means if there's any spaces on the board that he would have to cross over that none of the players have built their track pieces in, he's going to have to walk for that little leg of the journey. And he doesn't like walking at all. So he is going to do the absolute least amount of walking at all. So once you've determined whether he has to walk and if he does, how far... Now you're going to determine the other part of what decides how he moves. And he is going to make, he wants to make the least number of line changes during the course of his travel as possible. So if he can go from one space to the destination space by using just one line, that's what he's going to do. Even if the destination is right next to him and he has to travel all completely around the board just to get to the station right next to him, He'll do that rather than walk one space and take two lines that that was
1: much much closer. Yeah, it's not, So in other words, it's never. It's not guaranteed to be the shortest path. In fact, it almost oh, is ne- rarely going to be <laughs> exactly. the shortest path uh, exactly. and- to get to the board. The, the important other thing is that the lines are sort of design- – I mean, it's easy to tell because it's just the color of the just different the, tracks. You know? Exactly. There's the red line, which is the red pieces of track. The black line is the black tre- pieces of track. So exactly. if so you can take the black line all the way from point A to point B, that's what he's going to do, do that. Exactly. <laughs> so that's – therein lies the strategy
0: of the game because the passenger is going to move after each person gets a chance to lay stuff. So you have a good – you can definitely decide what the passenger is going to do by what you play. You have a lot of influence over it. But there are so many possibilities. It's just insane. You probably won't see them all and have the fun is pointing out to your opponents, well, you know, if you just would have laid one here and one of another color over here, he would have done this, that, and that. And you're like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's a really cool mechanic that
1: I don't recognize from any other yeah, games. I can't it, think of one that uses that exact mechanic. Is, mean, maybe maybe in uh What's the James Ernest uh, Gloria Mundi with the, okay. the goth? With a little goth moving up. I mean, there's It's sort of similar. You know something's going to happen based on right. that little thing moving and it's going to sort of trigger all these other things. In the case of Gloria Mundi, it's all bad things. In right. yeah, exactly. this game, it's good, but right. that's the only thing that okay. leaps to mind.
0: Yeah, but it's it's definitely wacky. So once the passenger has made his move, either one move or two move, um, depending upon what cards were face-up, then we need to kind of clean up the board and get it ready for the next player any cards that were used are removed and replaced by drawing new cards and then the destination pawns are put back out on the board um, matching the new cards that were just drawn and now the next player is ready to take their turn and do that whole thing over you keep doing this until you get to the end game now the end game is triggered when you draw the last card out of that deck instantly when that card's drawn all the pawns are removed from the board The passenger, the destinations, and every, we're gonna finish this round out so you're going to play back to the person who had that starting token. The wacky thing is that in these last handful of turns you're only going to be playing pieces. The passenger's not there you're not going to be able to earn points by him using your lines, so you're just going to be trying to squeak out squeak yeah. out those last handful of points by either making loops or building to the terminus or to national stations stuff like that so So you do get kind of last licks, but not with yeah, the passenger <laughs> exactly and it you can kind of keep track of the cards that are that are coming up but once that card's drawn it could be instantly the game is over because maybe the starting player maybe the player you know had just yeah. done it and the game is over or maybe everybody'll have another shot except for the starting player who knows but it's a pretty freaky end game that's that was the one thing i'm like oh something is weird here but <laughs> that's exactly how it's played it was wacky so Obviously you're scoring points during the middle game for all that stuff at the end of the game whoever has the most points wins the game and like steven said the the board is gorgeous once it's done being set up you should definitely take a picture of it cuz it's sweet
1: yeah yeah and the fact that it's going the little branches are going to be different every time <laughs>
0: exactly so i really really enjoy playing this game like i said at the beginning i really had not intended to purchase this game at all it was one that somebody had said you know this is kind of neat you might want to look at it oh, i don't know so walter shows up he's like oh you guys haven't played this <laughs> bam it's open we're we're setting it up he's explaining it at the same time he's kicking our butts but so <laughs> that's a, kind of a given <laughs> exactly so about halfway through it finally like clicked i'm like oh just the possibilities that are available to you each and every turn are crazy and you can see each station in the game is only used one time there's a card that matches a station and once it's gone the passenger is never going back there again so you can kind of start to see where the passenger has a potential to be heading to so if he's going to be there how's he going to get from there to there so you can actually plan ahead but like I said it's one of those games where the, uh,
1: the choices are plenty yeah Um, Now, in every game, uh, I know in our game, we had the two different colors of tracks. Are there situations where you're playing where you only have one color track? You'll always have two colors. because that's that's an important thing, I think, to point out, too, is that, I mean, you may start out with one line and start getting cut off just because there are only so many exit points from each station, and if someone else, you know, gets there before you, you might not be able to build out in the direction that you want. Well, the cool thing is you actually have two totally different sets of colored track,
3: that exactly. you can
1: go, okay. That's fine. I can start all the way over from a totally different spot on the board and score buku points. You know, by cashing in on an area where no one else is built out to. So right. And the
0: cool thing about that is in fewer. Like I think if you're playing with two or three people, you can have as many as four colors. Oh, I didn't so know that. So as many as okay. four different that's lines. Awesome. That's really cool. So much more flexible. You know, with a lower amount. But like I said, with that, you're going to have up to seventy rail pieces <laughs> yeah, to lay. That's crazy. So you're still keeping track of. <laughs> You know, eight or nine colors regardless, which is cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about this guy? I think that it sits in a spot where you can see how the rail gamers and the non-rail gamers could equally come together and like this game a lot. Because I think Walter comes to this game maybe is with a better rail game pedigree than right. either one of us and really sees it you know, maybe not totally in those terms because it really isn't a typical rail game, but it has some elements uh, of a rail game there. And the people who don't have much exposure to it at all, that, you know, it has, it sits in that nice little gray area there where it might be your entree into doing, you know, a heavier 1830 or ages steam, you know, after you you start down that road. Um, The thing I liked the most, I guess, about it was that, you have the cards with the, you know, you're trying to worry about the, the passenger, but the nice balance between if you're in a situation where you just cannot get that passenger to do what you want him to do on a particular turn, that you can say that's okay. I'll, score a bunch of points by trying to connect to those icons or connect up to the national exactly. stations or end the things. And on any given turn, you have to really kind of reassess the board and go, okay, what is the kind of best thing for me to do in this particular situation? It does have that kind of perfect strategy element that if you're able to kind of look at things very mathematically and go, oh, okay, it's obvious that I should go bump, bump, bump. And that's where I'm going to maximize my point haul for the turn that you right. can get too, con- I got too consumed with trying to make that dang passenger go where I wanted him to, when in some cases that wasn't necessarily to my best advantage. I should have been just going around connecting things up or trying to make loops and things that, to me, that's really nicely balanced, that you have that cool mechanic of the passenger. But on certain turns, you may just be saying, I don't care about the passenger this turn. I'm going to score as many points as I can. And and I thought that was really enjoyable.
0: And especially (laughs) when the person who's going before you, you kind of have, you can kind of see, you can, the four <laughs> destinations that are possible. Like, okay, I can see what this person is gonna do. You can start to figure out where they're gonna be and even pre planning your turn sometimes. I wasn't any good at that, but <laughs> but it's possible. Right, right. <clears throat> so I, I like this game. This is for me the first uh JKLM game that I've played, I believe. I think me too. Um and it was really the thing I thought that was funny about this is um the board itself Says Rio Grande on it. This is the first actual physical board that actually says Rio Grande, I think, which yeah. is kind of funky. I <laughs> wonder exactly the inside story on, you know, whether Jay helped this smaller company, you know, get going with this or what. Right. <laughs> you know, but it was it was a really really cool
1: game. Surprised me obviously because we own it now. Mm-hmm. It was
0: like we played it with Walter, and now we have to have
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you improve? Is there any aspect of the game that you you would improve if if I. I wish the end game was slightly different.
0: Um, it's it's a great game, and you can easily see when you're one or turn one or two turns away, possibly one or two turns away from the end game, because it's when the deck is is um, depleted. And then just wham, all of a sudden, the rest of the people in this particular turn can no longer use the passenger. So I I, I don't have the answer per se, but I would like to see just a slightly different end game that doesn't feel like just Abrupt, just uh, yeah. What
1: just happened? I wonder. I mean, there must be a reason why they took the passenger out for the last time. Maybe they just found that if the last person could Absolute, use the passenger, yep. they could just score so many points that it, it unbalanced the game in the other direction. But it seems like there there should have been. I, I would agree. Uh, yeah. That was the one thing that it, it's. I'm, I guess we're kind of knocking it because it's different than we expected not right. that it's bad for what it is exactly but it's still it leave it's a little anticlimactic i guess you know you sort of think of the tension of the game building up to the point where you get to the end and then nah, nah, we get the winner and this one sort of seems to tail off before you right, actually exactly. get to the end it's like oh yeah i guess you did win yeah and i have to confess that it i think it seems strange <clears throat> enough that
0: at least i thought maybe walter had forgotten something
1: but, you know, he, but totally he was didn't.
0: he was absolutely on the money and it, it was just Different than we had anticipated. Well, I don't
1: think we're unique in that because at the Spielathon, I had two different groups of people come up and say, Now, are we doing the end game right? Oh, okay. So uh, I think that that's just, in at least in the way it's worded in the rules or something, if you're coming to the game for the first time, it might be an area where you want to pay attention to a little closer because because it is a little funky.
0: (laughs) Cool. But all in all... Great game. I'm, I'm glad we own it. I would love to play it again. It would take me a handful of plays before I was like super comfortable with this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so first off the list this episode,
1: On the Underground. So the second game on the list is uh, Ten Days in Asia. It was it came out just recently, just this month, 2007. Uh, the designers are Alan Moon and Aaron Weisblum. Uh Great designers, great pedigree there. Uh, the publisher is Out of the Box. Two to four players plays in about thirty minutes. Uh, it retails for twenty five dollars, but you can find it online for between seventeen and twenty dollars. So, um, good deal. Let's go over the components first. Um, you get this thick, heavy game board map of Asia. It's ridiculously thick. For <laughs> I mean, the, the box will feel heavier than you think it should, and it's all in the in the board. Nice sort of matte print uh, uh, board. Each country is de- depicted in one of five really bright colors and sort of looks like what you'd think of as, you know, that grade school map that your teacher was going to pull down of a particular area. In wasn't shoot spit wads at. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was the good student in front <laughs> paying attention. You're the one shooting spit wads at me. <laughs> um, but, uh, this one is Asia. There's 10 days in Africa, 10 days in Europe, 10 days in the United States. Um, This is the most recent iteration of the game and and adds a, a few extra elements. So back to the components. You've got the board, you've got 77 tiles. There are 56 country tiles and 21 transportation tiles. Now the country tiles have the country's name They show the shape of the country and the color that corresponds to the place on the map and they also give some really cool basic geographical information about the country like the capital and the population of the country it's you know just as a you know educational thing it has that that aspect to it but that is not the the heart (laughs) of the game i think which is what's really cool about it um so that's the country tiles the transportation tiles are of three different types there are planes uh, there are trains, and not automobiles, <laughs> but uh, ships. Um, and we'll get into those in terms of how they affect the game in just a minute. Uh, lastly, there are eight wooden racks, two per players. The racks are your card holders or your tile holders. Um, one is for days one through five year your trip, and the other is for six through ten. You just sort of butt them together, and then screen printed on them are little slots for each of the different days. So you have day one, day two, so you know where to put your tiles. In other words, in the racks. The object of 10 days in Asia is to be the first player to complete a journey using all 10 of your tiles, one for each of the days that you have in your little rack. Now the setup, a lot of the strategy in this game is actually in the setup of this game, which is really kind of interesting. All the tiles are going to be mixed together and put face down near the board. Uh Players are going to take turns drawing tiles one at a time and then placing them in a specific day slot in their rack. The, important to note, you don't start at day one if you don't want to. You pick a tile and you get to decide where in your rack you want to put this country or this transportation mode um, in your little rack. Um, now, the important other thing to note is that these tiles cannot be moved during this setup part once they've been put in a day space in your rack. In other words, you have to build your journey one tile at a time without knowing <laughs> what the next step in your journey is going to be. So there's, there is a great deal of strategy in how you want to sort of line things up if you get someplace. Uh, when I say Asia, I'm talking about sort of the classical definition of Asia. So it starts in the Middle East and Turkey and sweeps all the way over into what, you know, sort of the more modern conception okay. of what Asia would be. So you might get, you know, Saudi Arabia and the next thing you draw is, you know, East Timor. Well, you probably don't want to put those two next to each other <laughs> unless you're planning on jettisoning one of them during, during right. the course of the game. So you can kind of see you want to put likes with like, or leave openings for different modes of transportation once the game begins. Now I'm going to go over the the methods of travel because that kind of affects how you're going to set up your board. You can walk, you can take a train, you can take a plane, or you can take a ship. Walking is very easy and probably going to be the most common way you're going to hook up all your countries. Um, Any country with adjoining borders you can walk to. Um, There are no special transportation tiles for this, you just lay those tiles together. So if you had India and Pakistan, you could put those next to each other, and you're just assumed to be walking from one to the other. With trains, there are train tiles, Um, there, there are rail lines printed on the map, and they show which countries are connected by that rail line. If you place a rail tile between two countries that are on the same line, then you can travel from one to the other. Planes work uh, fairly similarly, only they're color-coded. You can place a plane tile between two country tiles that match the color of that plane. So if you have a blue country, a blue plane, and another blue country, you can fly from one to the other. And the cool thing about that is they've been very cagey (laughs) <laughs> about how those things are set up. They're never short little hops. I mean, you you end up going from, I think, well, the last time I played with Francie, I had like Cyprus to Taiwan <laughs> or something like that. It was a ridiculous hop, but it's really useful if you need to get from one side right. of the board to the other. Lastly, uh the ships will show either the Indian or the Pacific Ocean. You can place a ship or an ocean tile between two countries that have shoreline touching the ocean on that ship tile. So if they're both countries that are in the Pacific and have a shoreline, you can take a boat from one to the other. It kind of makes sense. Absolutely. You know, it just, it, 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 I'm making maybe this sound more complicated than it is, but countries next to each other, <laughs> you walk. If there's a train map on the on the a train line on the map, you can take the train. If the colors match and you have the color of the plane, you can take the plane. Or if they're in the same ocean, you can take a boat from one place to the other. So you you can understand why that's important though in the setup in terms of deciding where you might want to put that blue plane. If you get a blue country, you might want to put that next to each other. Or a ship that has the Pacific Ocean, you might want to put that over in the Pacific, you know, countries that you start to accumulate. After all ten of your day slots are full on your racks, then, very similarly kind of funny to uh, on the underground, you're going to flip over some tiles that are going to go face up that are going to kind of determine part of the flow of the rest of the game. Now you're ready to actually play the game. Uh, So much of the game, I think, takes place in that sort of interspace before the game is actually ready to go. Um, So a typical game turn goes like this. You draw a tile and you discard a tile. Um, your tile can come from the face-up tiles that you can see, and everybody else can see, or you can take potluck from the face-down stacks of tiles next to the board. Um, you can re- you're gonna replace one of the tiles in your rack with the tile that you draw, or chuck it if it doesn't help you, if you have a better setup than the, the junk that you happen to draw. Um, but the interesting thing is that the discarded tile is going to go over the top of one of those face-up tiles that's on the board. So uh, in most cases, there's only one tile for that country in the entire you know stack of tiles. There are a few countries on the board that have asterisks that have two tiles, so China, Iran, uh, a few of the bigger countries have multi Russia have a, have multiples, but most of them have one, and if you see that it's gone underneath that discard pile, you're either gonna have to start trying to draw those tiles just to get to the one you want, or just know, well, <laughs> I'm not getting to Bangladesh this <laughs> <It's> game. <laughs> um, Play is going to continue around the board, basically in this fashion. You're going to draw a tile, see if it helps you complete your journey, and then discard a tile until one player can actually make a valid 10-day journey. And they just say, you know, my journey's complete, and they flip their little rack over. It's kind of cool. The tiles kind of stick yeah. in there, and you can just kind of tip it over. And then you could just show, okay, my I start here, and then I take a plane to, uh, you know, Tajikistan, and then I I'm gonna go over to, uh, Pakistan from or uh, Afghanistan from there, and. It, it's just really interesting, to kind of... I imagine the Indiana Jones music playing oh, with the little red line. Exactly. Pers- you almost want to see how close other people were at the end, too. You're like, oh, who had, <laughs> yeah, exactly. who had Israel? Exactly. I needed <laughs> Israel. <laughs> um, this game has way more depth than meets the eye. I think it probably gets written off as being an educational game, one, or just a game for kids, on the other hand. And I think,
0: Guilty as charged here. I think
1: people, and we have to thank... Uh, uh, Joe Jones at uh, Knucklebones Magazine, Absolutely. he just went on and on when we interviewed him at Origin saying, oh, we just play the hell out of this game, and it's just such the the greatest fun game. They play on their lunch breaks a lot, and we're like, we're obviously not hip to the jibe here. We should really be right. sitting down and look, taking a closer look at this game. Um, there's there Sure, there is an overtly educational aspect in that you're going to learn geography, whether you want to or <laughs> not, by playing the game. But I don't feel like the game was created for the sole purpose of learning a lesson. Uh, you end up learning the map as part of the strategy of playing the game. Uh, the tile swapping and covering makes it a challenge not only to build your own trip, but you really need to pay attention to what your op- opponent is doing and collecting out of those those face-up ah, ones bingo. so that you don't accidentally help them um, along the way. Last thing I'll say before I'll shut up and let you get your your two cents in here is Having played it several times now, an interesting little connection sort of just went on in my head after having played it a few times is if I said Mahjong <laughs> to you with this game, does that actually make sense or ring any bells? Why I would say that I, I think of Mahjong when I think of 10 days in Asia. I would and like, it's
0: not just because Mahjong comes from China. <laughs> I would like to think that uh, we're not the only people who see that connection because our very first time playing it, we both felt... That mechanically, there was definitely some similarities. Yeah.
1: To me, it's sort of interesting that they've taken the tile aspect of of Mahjong and sort of separated. To me, immediately, it felt like I was collecting a special hand in Mahjong. It's just a very specific kind of special hand. But unlike Mahjong, where all the information about the tiles is on the tile, the suit, the number, and everything, in 10 Days in Asia, half that information of how the tiles interact is determined by the board. But, so it's yep. like they found a way to take the, a Mahjong mechanic but involve it with a board that really makes the tiles more flexible and interesting than even a, a, a Mahjong is in that one specific right. particular way, I think. Uh, just It wasn't something that I would have thought going into this game when I looked at it, that that was going to be... Oh yeah, yeah. Of course. It's kind of a, a kissing cousin to, to Mahjong in a very interesting way, I think. Um, and the the one... Oh, go ahead. I should let you you get your two cents in here, and then I have one little sort of rules hedge that I'd like oh, to okay. suggest for the for the end game.
0: Well, I'm I'm super glad we got to try this out at Gen Con for the first time, and like you said, at the behest of our friend over at Knucklebones, he's like, gotta try it, gotta try. it. So I'm like, okay. So we go over there, and wow, this game was just I'll tell you the bummer about this game is that the graphics on the box, or just the box itself did not make me interested in this game whatsoever. It absolutely looked like the stereotypical educational game just from looking at it. And I don't think any of us would have ever picked this up. And so I'm glad that he forced us to go over and play it. And uh, there was, we played with a full four. And it was just ultra cool. I mean, it was, I liked everything. And it didn't take but three or four passes around the table before I was already using those same strategies as I use when I'm playing Mahjong, mm-hmm. which I'm like, what the heck this is funky (laughs) but it it was really cool because you can if you're good enough I think we had an upper edge because we had played so much mahjong, we instantly knew the strategy that was involved. We Collect could see
1: things together. We could see
0: what the opponents were keeping and taking. We could see what they were throwing away. You could divine exactly, pro- you know, probably what they were trying to do. So you knew what to cover up because you were hosing them. Yeah, it, it was just cool. And then you knew how to make your hand flexible enough that you're not waiting on that one magical tile that you're never going to get. You're waiting on three, four, five tiles that mm-hmm. will
1: all. It'll all do the same thing for you, but it's much more flexible. And, well, and because of the way the tr- modes of transportation work, you can shift on the fly. You start to get part of your lineup set up, and then suddenly you're just not getting the things that you need. You might get a ship or a plane that suddenly opens up the board to you in, in a totally different way. Yeah. My only b- piece of advice is no matter how hard you try, you can't walk anywhere from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the last thing I would suggest is it's funny that both these, you know, they're all kind of travel themed, but the end game in this game, I think suffers (laughs) in a kind of similar way in that it's a little anticlimactic when you get to the close to the end, everybody's maybe waiting on that one tile and you don't know. And then somebody's just like, Oh, I won and flips their thing over. My suggestion would be because of the little Mahjong connection in Mahjong, when you're down to one tile, you say, I'm listening. And everybody knows when you say that that you're only one tile away from going out. And the reason you say I'm listening is everybody is obligated to say out loud, this is what, you know, I, I lay down the four of bamboo and they're like, ah, mahjong. I think it would be fun if you had well, – I think you said well, – what did you say? Last leg right. or something so that everybody knows you're waiting for that last one. So it might make them hesitate to go I – mean, last night when I played with Francie a couple times, I was like, I know she needs stinking Iraq and I have it <laughs> sitting here. I can't risk putting it out. But then I get the perfect tile that puts me in a position to you know get close to the end. I'm like, well – here you go, and of course she's like, ha-ha, I win. <laughs> I think that particular mechanic was another tip of the hat to Mahjong,
0: just the fact that in this game, you do have to call out the tile that you lay out.
1: Exact same rules in Mahjong. You yeah. know, it's like eerily similar. <laughs> so um, I I'd give it high marks. I a, I, I'm a map freak and a geography freak from the time I was a kid, so I, I really enjoy these kinds of games, but the, the kid and sort of educational mm-hmm. thing had put me off really giving it a serious shot and i'm i'm super glad that that um Mr. Jones at Knucklebones exactly. definitely uh, gave us the extra little nudge we needed to get this one because now I want them all four Right. because I can imagine doing it. I think they should put out eight in total so you could do oh, that around be, the world yes. in 80 days and, uh, and they even said that they're actually set up so that you can go from one board to the other and, and interact that way because the colors yeah, match on the maps crazy. and that would just be a lot of fun yeah. because it is very quick but you could make it even more strategic if you've got these long lines of oh, racks yeah, exactly. and cards and switching Seems like things like the skies, the
0: limit. You put them all together You could still do ten days, or you could do twenty, or you could do four. I mean, Mm -hmm. totally sky's (laughs) limit. You could be crazy, and it was. I'm I'm the flip side of you. I'm not the map geography freak, and I had a blast
1: with this. It was very cool. Well, so that's the second game off the list. Uh, Ten days in Asia, Uh, Dave. Do you have the tally for us? Um, no. (laughs) It's high. (laughs) It's a
0: hundred and seventy. Six. Okay. Well. ish.
1: <laughs> so is it updated or it will be updated by the time this yeah, comes out? Yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it will be correct. So we're in the hundred and seventy four ish now that we played two so, down. Right. Man, we gotta keep it under two hundred. That Whew. we just can't let it get that big. <laughs>
0: no matter what we have to do, we're gonna have to okay. just have a twenty four hour game session.
1: We, we used to say, you know, we we only had about ten percent of our collection that we hadn't played, and now we're creeping up towards like 20. That's not good. What? Yeah, it's not, don't <laughs> even think about that. So now a word from our sponsor. Haven't gotten to say that yet. It's pretty cool. Sounds awesome. <laughs> so timewellspent.org is our sponsor, fine retailer of, of games online. Uh, the games that we uh, talk about on the list are available. Uh, they haven't gotten their order of 10 days in Asia quite yet. Okay. Uh, but On the Underground is currently available. They've got this game list for $40 and they carry it all the time for 25 75 Great price. Yep. And uh, some of the games that we're going to be talking about coming up here in the back shelf in the very next segment, uh, Can't Stop uh, is actually available, face-to-face games, and they have a good price on it as yeah, well. Yeah, it retails for 30 but they carry it all the time for $19.50. So you might want to check out those deals at Time Well Spent. Uh, their, their upcoming thing in September that they want you to know about is uh, a deal on shipping that they haven't offered before. Uh, So ordinarily, if you spend about $100 on an order, you get uh, shipping for $5 instead of the actual cost of shipping. So in September, it's still going to be orders of $100 are going to be $5 for shipping, but orders of $150 or more, free shipping for the month of September. Excellent. So if you you need to load up on some games, if you've listened to all the con coverage and all these games are going to start kind of coming through the pipeline now for everybody, if you need to do a big order and you want to save on shipping that would be a great way to to do it there a time well spent
0: this is the way Steven and i buy a lot of our games Absolutely. you know you wait till um places do wonderful deals like this and then if you if you're not going to buy that much yourself you go in with a couple friends and get a nice big juicy order together and save on the shipping it's a great
1: deal yeah cuz it can get it can get pricey especially since some of these games are if they got a lot of goober they're going to be heavy so <laughs> exactly. that's going to drive the the shipping costs up Um, I know in in terms of the way things are shipped, that's an important thing. Yeah,
0: we've had a lot of experience now with time well spent because we've obviously received tons of games from them, stuff we've ordered, and everything has arrived in a very timely manner. It's all arrived in great condition. You know how picky I am about games. (laughs) It's all been packed wonderful, arrives great. And, you know, that doesn't even count the times where where they've been over backwards to get us stuff, yeah, you know, in, in a faster than humanly possible. <laughs> For
1: the spiel, the spiel yeah, exactly. <laughs> episode, we had to have them rush ship, uh, I think it was Isfahan and Zularetto. Right. Zularetto it was, was yeah. the one because it yeah. had just come out. And, exactly. And they were very responsive to, to oh, we need it right now. And, <laughs> Please. And, and we got it when we needed it. So Yeah, so bop over to their site, which is
0: timewellspent.org and take advantage of what they've got coming up in September because it's really cool free shipping over 150 well I'd be ordering in a heartbeat
1: (laughs) back shelf spotlight these games need some love and we're going to give it to them the back shelf spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention classic games rare games obscure games that you may not know about but you should if you're looking to branch out and try something new this would be a good place to start. So second contest uh, winner we need to get to uh, is from the Backshelf Spotlight from episode 34. Um, the connection was between Roma and Babel, and we had a ton of really interesting guesses on the forum this time. They were all over the map. Got into a funny oh. uh, funny discussion about, about movies, which actually led yeah. hmm. <laughs> to the actual mystery connection. Uh, Scotty from Mississippi was pretty close. He was the one who started the kind of movie-themed ideas, but the winner for the Backshelf Spotlight like connection of a set of custom spiel dice is David Levin from New York City. Uh, his uh, guess was that both game titles are actually films. Uh, Babel was directed by um, Inyaritu, and uh, Fellini directed Roma uh, back in 1972. So... Excellent, David. I sort of was showing my, my screenwriter <laughs> colors there with picking a little movie connection, but you saw right through that. We, we were pretty sure we had you guys this time, but, yeah. but no. <laughs> so remember, there's going to be a connection between the two games in the Back Shelf Spotlight this week, and uh, we'll encourage you to go to the forums at thespiel.net, and um, there'll be a listing for this episode, and you can put down your guesses for the Mystery Connection. If you actually pick our brains and get the right one... Um, everybody who does will be in a drawing for a set of Spiel dice. If uh, nobody gets our mystery connection, then the most creative one will win the set of Spiel dice. So. Have you
0: put a, new, a picture up of the new
1: Spiel dice? Mm, not yet. Not they yet. are. I they need, are awesome. I need to do. I that. like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I need to actually put up like a photo gallery because we're getting lots of listeners sending in oh, photos and things. So that would be I'll, sweet. Get on that here soon. <laughs> um, so the two games in the back shelf this week are Dungeon Dice and Can't Stop two games that probably already
0: before we even discuss them, if you know them, you're already thinking of connections. (laughs) But trust me, it's not that easy. <laughs> so let's start off with Dungeon Dice. This was a game that was near and dear to my heart when I was a little kid. I played the heck out of this game to the point to where I don't have the game anymore because I wore it out. I do still have the dice, though.
1: <laughs> of course.
0: <laughs> exactly. So Dungeon Dice is unfortunately an uncredited de- uncredited design. It was published in 1977 by Parker Brothers. It's for two to four players, ages eight and up, and it is obviously out of print. Uh, there are a lot of people on the Board Game Geek that are trading this guy off, or you can log on to eBay. 3 to 10 bucks on eBay I would buy this in a heartbeat I should go out and buy it now so in Dungeon Dice each player is a prisoner locked away in a cold dark dungeon (laughs) that's why I like this game so all you can think about while you're locked up is of course escaping the heck out of the dungeon (laughs) so this game is a classic classic push your luck game When I was little and playing this game, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I had no idea. It was a push or luck game. I just knew I liked it. At least now I know why I liked it, (laughs) because it was so cool. So let's take a quick look at the components. Got a neat little game board. It comes with six wooden dice. Um, They're special wooden dice, so they don't just have pips on them. They've got like a shovel, a key, a ladder, a lantern, a dagger, and of course the dreaded guard, (laughs) which is cool. There's this plastic dice rolling pit that you put in the middle where you do all your dice rolling. It's excellent. And then there's a deck of dungeon cards. Each one of these cards just represents like a little space That you've been digging out of the ground to work your way out of the dungeon so (laughs) the (laughs) exactly the object of the game is to roll dice so that you can collect seven of these tunnel cards and then on the board in front of you will be this really neat little layout showing your prison cell and your little hole that you've dug all the way out to the edge of the board it's super cool the mechanic is one that everybody knows you roll your dice if you get at least pairs of something those are set aside you can stop rolling or you can risk what you with the other dice, roll again and add to those and keep going until you just don't feel lucky anymore. Obviously, if at any point you can't set dice aside, you kinda you you're bummed out, you don't get any of the cards that you thought you were gonna get. It's pretty simple. Three of a kind get you one card, four of a kind get you two, five, three, obviously on and up. You can get I think you can get uh three sets of two for a oh, card okay. and you can also get a run of six for a card. <laughs> but here's where they get you those darn little guards. If if three of those guards come up before you can finish, you're done. And you lose all the stuff that you'd gain that turn. (laughs) Same way with there's like a little challenge rule. If somebody's getting a little too close to digging their way out of the dungeon, you can challenge them. You've got three rolls to roll three guards. If you do, you get to swipe one of their dungeon cards and put it in yours. (laughs) So super, super easy, but so cool.
1: I, I totally forgot... How neat this was, I would love to have another copy. Funny how just adding that theme onto yeah. onto such a traditional mechanic, you know, gives it enough of a different feel that it doesn't just feel like sort of Yahtzee. Exactly. <laughs> with a couple extra things. Right. It really does feel like a, a separate
0: a separate thing. <laughs> it it does big time. And we play we would play, you know,
1: thirty games in a row. <laughs> it was insane, but
0: classic, classic. If if you've got um young kids, find this for
1: three to ten bucks and buy it. Yeah. Th- they will love it. <laughs> Going along with uh, Dungeon Dice, I mean, Can't Stop would be a great hit with it with any family and Bingo. any any kind of gamer, whether it's casual or even people who don't think they like games. You could definitely sit down and play Can't Stop. So um, 1980 is the credited design date. It's kind of funny because I think of Can't Stop as being older than Dungeon Dice, but it actually isn't. Right. From, I always from think what of it as tell. like
0: the original pusher <laughs> luck type of thing, uh, like official one,
1: obviously. Mm-hmm. The mechanic goes back uh, yeah. much further than that, but... <laughs> but I, that was kind of a surprise to me. The designer is Sid Saxon. The publishers, now get ready for this. There are, I, well, I'm not, I'm, you'll let you count. I'm just going to read them <laughs> out here. Parker Brothers, Ravensburger, Day Editions, Franjo Spieleverlag, E.G. Spiele, Face-to-Face Games, and Boris Plana all of them have put out this game so this game has had legs and continues to have exactly. legs exactly although in america it's been hit or miss it's it comes right. in print and goes out of print it's Freaky. currently in print by face to face games here in the united states um it's for two to four players plays in about 30 minutes could probably actually faster than that if you know what you're once you know what you're doing uh retails for about 30 dollars uh, but online you can find it for around 20 uh, you can also play it online in two different ways. Uh, Brett Spielwelt has an online live version that you can play with other people. But there's also a downloadable version where you can play against computer opponents at RollOrDon't.com. And there's a <laughs> awesome. Windows, uh, Windows OS 10, and Linux version. Excellent. So all all flavors of the rainbow there for cool. people. Um, And there are also, because this game has been around for such a long time, there are a bunch of extras of homebrew print-and-play boards available at BoardGameGeek.com. So, done with the bibliography here. Um, It's one of the classics in the Greed style genre, just like we said. First, we have to talk about the board, because that's the thing that really kind of sets can't stop apart. It's made in the shape of a stop sign, an octagon, in other words. They're columns of raised squares that kind of conform to the shape of of the board, and there are numbers ranging from 2 to 12 across the top, one number for col- per column, and each player has a set of little pieces or pawns that are kind of squatty pyramid pieces um, that are going to fit over those squares to kind of mark your progress up the different columns. The object you can't stop is to get your markers to the top of at least three of these columns. Um, just like these greed style games, you're going to roll um, the dice and Um, and then roll some more, hopefully. (laughs) During your turn, you roll the dice and place temporary markers onto the board. You can continue moving these temporary markers until either none of your dice match, in which case your turn is over and all the progress you've made is gone, or you cut your losses and end your turn and replace those temporary markers with permanent ones. The trick is that you can only commit your markers to three of these columns in any one given turn. So if you ever decide to keep rolling and don't roll a combination where you have your markers, you're gonna bust and lose all your progress for the whole turn. Uh, if you disop, if you like I said, if you decide to stop before you bust, then you're gonna place your markers out there and you're you're gonna have those kind of columns open on successive turns so that you're you have a little more flexibility in what you're able to roll. Um, once one person has reached the top of a particular column that number then is off limits to everyone else so the game kind of has an acceleration factor to it it gets faster and faster as the board sort of closes down now remember we said the game is shaped in the uh, board is shaped like an octagon uh that means that the columns on the outside the 2s and 12s have less squares in them so it takes less 2s and 2s th- and 12s to actually get to the top of the column, then it does the sevens, which obviously are in the middle and is the most commonly rolled thing, so it takes more than that it 's addictive and simple and loads of fun for um, any age player, shape, or form. people who don 't even like games at all, you can sit down with can not stop and they 're just going to love the love the crap out of this game, I think because you know there is a little bit of strategy to you know when when to stop, but it is you know just it's the essence of that green right. style game with a nice cool component and the visual element of that component just adds a little bit of extra to it. So, um, anything you want to add there? To I, to I'm just, up? I'm so
0: stoked that face to face came back out with this and they're paying homage to the original version because the same board, virtually the same style of pieces Yes, because they could have easily re- remade this into just a standard board. board game, you know, with little pawn, but they did it upright. I'm,
1: if you don't own this, go buy it now. Yeah, it's it's a classic in that you know it, it's been around for this long. It's kind of weird that in the United States it's been kind of hit and miss as far as in print and out of print. Right. So hopefully face-to-face will have a good long run with this. But if you're interested in it at all, get it now because it is one of those games that has right. come in and out of print quite a bit, even though in my mind it's, it's one of those games that should be on your shelf even if you only have a few – if you need one greed-style game – I don't know whether i pick Can't Stop or Cosmic Wimpout. One of those two. um, Cosmic Wimpout, if you needed to travel, because it's just small and there's a little tube of dice, but Can't Stop is is certainly one of my favorites, too. Bingo. So remember, there is a wacky connection between Can't
0: Stop and Dungeon Dice. We'll let you guys log on to the forums and figure out what that connection is yourself. And what's that web address? Oh, we have a web address? Yes, we do. Okay, it's thespiel.net. Truckloads
1: of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the Goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great Goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great Goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week.
0: Welcome back to Truckloads of Goober. It's been a long time for this particular segment, and it's obviously one of my favorite segments. So this episode in Truckloads of Goober, we have a game called The Inventors. And this was a game that was brought to my attention by our friend Mark in Pennsylvania. In his uh, most recent visit, he brought a copy of this game. He opened it up, and I went, (laughs) because it was that cool. So "The Adventers" is designed by Marvin Glass. It was published in 1974 by Parker Brothers. It's for three to four players, ages nine and up, and unfortunately, it is also out of print. Several people on boardgamegeek.com trading this puppy away, or you can look to eBay for about 10, 15 bucks.: Oh that's go- cheap, really? Yeah. Ooh, so I need to find this. Okay, I was very tempted to get on and uh, <laughs> just go ahead and buy myself one.
1: Now, what about this troll? No, listen, gooberhead, not troll.
0: Droll, with a D. Oh, okay. So is this droll big and hairy? Now you're
1: just being difficult. Do you want this clue or not? All right, all right. You don't have to be so cryptic. Here it is. Droll and confused by Cold Board Game Designer. Name. (coughs) That. (coughs) Game. (coughs)
0: So in the investors, or in the inventors, each player takes on the role of an investor. And what you're trying to do is purchase an invention that will hopefully become the next big thing. And these inventions are loony tunes. We're talking about the parachute hat, the eye protectors for chickens, or maybe the air-conditioned rocking chair. That's awesome. Just totally off off the charts, weird inventions. So there's basically a board. There's two tracks. The outside track is... Roll your dice, wander around this guy, land on an invention, buy it. The inside track is go in there to actually try and sell your invention. A Little deeper than that, but that's basically all we're going to go into now. Because the cool part of this particular thing is the goober. So we'll start off one board, a lot of play money, four wooden pawns, two D6s, and a deck of Eureka cards. (laughs) Now here comes the good stuff. There's a particular component in here, it actually even has a name. It's called the Incredible Patent Picker Move Maker Machine. <laughs> what? Great. What is this component, you ask? It's just a dice tower, but it's an ultra cool, <laughs> very neat dice tower. Um, basically, the design. It's a two-part little two-part plastic guy, so you've got the little tray, and then you've got the tower itself that fits on there, and they're just like a, any wacky machine that you're picturing like from the 20s or something. It's got little arrows that, you know, this goes in here, it comes out here, then this hits this and turns this. Sort of Rube Goldberg yeah, yeah, kind exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly, and it actually says on there the incredible patent picker move maker machine, <laughs> and it's not just screen printed on there, it's actually, like you embossed. know, exactly, it's ultra cool. So, and it's not just a dice tower. Most dice towers, you drop the dice in here, they go through and come out. No, but wait, there's more. Exactly. You put the dice tower, you put the dice in there, and they don't fall through until you press this little spring-loaded doohickey. (laughs) When you press that, the dice now they fall through the tower and come out the bottom. But as they're falling through, of course, they have to hit the bell on the way out. So every time it's like, and then they roll out. You're like, how? Cool is that, <laughs> and it doesn't stop there, folks. On the backside of the incredible patent picker move maker machine is this little slot where you put 20 metal investor clips. <laughs> and as you acquire inventions, you'll stick the invention cards in this little slot, and magically, when you pull it out, you'll have a clip on there. Oh, that's neat. That's
2: totally, really Totally, cool. totally
0: freaky. And the clips not only add more value to your inventions, they decide the end of the game because when you're out, when you're out of clips. That's the end of the game. Oh, that's cool. It, this little darn <laughs> dice tower is so cool. When Mark brought that, I'm like, oh, he wanted to give it to me, but I felt bad, so I didn't take it. <laughs> but it it is so cool. If you look up, we'll have some pictures of this bad boy. Oh yeah, It's yeah. It's just, I mean, as far as dice towers goes, especially this is nearly 35 years old. You know, I, I don't think I even knew what a dice tower was. Yeah. You know, back then. <laughs> but I was trying to calculate if I was 35 years old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're over 35. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Stop. But, so check out the inventor's ultra cool goober, the incredible patent picker,
1: move maker
0: machine. Awesome.
1: The Game Sommelier, or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called the Game Sommelier. Time
0: once again for the dreaded Game Sommelier. I got my Sommelier hat on. Exactly. You are in the hot seat. Now, this is kind of a special challenge because this is the first challenge that we've taken from the forums. This has been posted there for quite some time, but it's it's been one, as soon as we saw it, we knew we were going to be using this bad boy as soon as some time opened up. (laughs) So this was actually posted by Beehive23. It was a little while ago, and here's the challenge, is to pick five games that would work well on a trip to Mars and hopefully back. <laughs> so here's a few things that the Challenger would like you to consider when picking your games. Okay. First of all, obviously, space is tight, so they should be small games. They need to work well in a low or zero-G environment, because you don't want your meebles drifting into the guidance system. That would be bad. That's a very fair point. <laughs> they need to have a high degree of replayability, since you're not going to get any other games for... Several years, let's say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and last but not least, they shouldn't cause players to storm off in a huff, since there's really no place to storm off to. And last, lastly, he leaves you with a few parting words. Just would like to wish you good luck, because the future of humanity in space depends on your picks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no pressure. Or yeah, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, think I, got, I got just the five for him, I think. With a With a, an additional sixth. Because I just think, okay. there are five board games and then one non-board game. Okay, so, so pay attention close, Beehive 23. <laughs> I'm going to give my thumbs, but we're
0: going to expect a little yeah, feedback from you, too. A little too. thumbage from you, too. Exactly.
1: So, uh, I would like to, since you know we're in the space kind of things, I think we have to speak in acronyms like <laughs> NASA does. So, I'm going to employ the GARG, the Principle of GARG, which stands for mm. Gravity, Area, Replay, and Grudge. <laughs> I couldn't work the Velcro in <laughs> to Garg. So it's the Garg V principle. Okay, actually. Because <laughs> there's Velcro involved in the end. Sweet. I thought about magnets first, but then I thought, you know, magnets and computers and Annihilation. There's no way they're making yeah, it to Mars yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the magnets. So, so Velcro was the answer. Excellent. So, you know, some of these are, would require a little bit of modification, but I don't know any game that you could just do a board game version of that you wouldn't require a little bit of modification of some sort right, yeah, because of the, the weightlessness thing. Right. All the tests that I've seen on games in space, they've all required modifications. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so th- with that in mind, my main uh, modification would be to have like a game wall in the space station, because Ooh. walls or ceilings or whatever, you know, it could be the ceiling, but have a big thing that's all Velcro, the the part that you know, the fuzzy part, and the uh-huh. pieces would have the little the hook part <laughs> on the other thing, and so you could just throw down and play on on this, you know, this sort of like the game room, only it's the game wall, and you can go there. So most of these games would require the modification of applying a little you know, something to the bottom so that you have some place to stick the pieces to. My other thing was, okay, this is high tech. We're talking NASA here. So you could either have, you know, marked the Velcro with the board, or I was thinking super high tech, you could have a little projector that just sort of projects the outline of the board onto ah, the, the Velcro. You know, thinking cool. a little science fiction here. Or you could just have the board that's Velcroed onto the thing and maybe have little Velcro patches on each of the spots. Well, from
0: all the stories we hear about NASA, they should be able to create the game in space with spare parts
1: from the... For a mere $9 yeah. billion. Dollars, yeah, exactly. They can, they can create a version of Ingenious <laughs> by Reiner Knizia. How's that for a segue? Woo-hoo! Fantasy Flight Games, one to four players. This is filling that sort of abstract strategy niche. I tried to kind of play the field, because if you're going to be out there for a while, you want to have games that kind of scratch different itches, so to speak. Uh, This one's great because you can play it solitaire as just sort of a puzzle type thing, or you can play it with multiple people. The pieces are all these beautiful hexagonal double hexagon tiles with shapes, and you're trying to score points in as many of the different... uh, Your score is going to be based on the lowest of a particular symbol that you're able to score points in. That's I basically, believe it or not, just explain the entire game in like two <laughs> sentences. It's very elegant. Um, there is there is like a little travel two-player version of the game now, but I think you, with my Velcro system, with the Garg V principle <laughs> in action, gravity, area, replay, grudge, and, and Velcro, I think that that one would be a, a hit. That That's great. Wonderful pick. Definite thumbs up. I have a special reason
0: why I like this game that our listeners will find out soon enough
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i forgot about that uh I was, maybe that's why i had it on the brain <laughs> so second uh second pick is cribbage i cannot imagine traveling anywhere whether it's to mars or the other side of the galaxy without having a cribbage board i mean that's just standard issue with me i almost travel I, I can't. Exactly. I like have one in my car. That's so sad exactly. to admit. But uh, you know, a cribbage board and a deck of cards, a little travel thing like that. You got the pegs. You could also just use oh. the the velcro wall and just have little markers you know, there if you didn't even want to have the board and the pegs flying around well, the shit. Yeah, you just Velcro the darn board to the wall and the
0: and pegs are going to stay in the hole. Yeah.
1: And any game that involves a deck of cards gives you a 100 other yeah, games. Yeah, exactly. That was my thinking. you <laughs> got to have one game that involves a deck of cards because then that opens up all those other games. So pick number two. Beautiful. Thumbs up. Okay. My third one, it's kind of a... I, I, I don't think I'm limping out here. I think it's just a matter of choice as far as the astronauts go. I think you should have kind of a, blu- a, a bluff-based... Social party game. So it could be Balderdash, <laughs> could be Wise and Otherwise, uh, could be, we saw that new one that was based on book titles, Library. Library, right. From Simply Fun. Uh, it could be any game like that because it doesn't require, I mean, it's just your brain. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't require any sort of thing. You could even just have a big computer file with, you know, bajillions of, you know, the card questions or, or, you know, topics there with balderdash, you know, you're trying to make up the definition of a word with wise and otherwise. You're trying to do proverbs from different countries with library. It's book first lines from books. Uh, I just think that would be a, if you had, I'm imagining, you know, maybe four or five people on this mission or something, it would be a good party, you know, situation and you get to use your you get to use your creativity in a way that maybe you don't in these other. And those ones. particular type of games would become really challenging after several years. You would know your opponent yes,
0: so well yes.
1: <laughs> that that would be a really fun type of game to play. Definitely thumbs up. <laughs> so, my fourth one may not conform to the second G in the guard V <laughs> principle. But uh, I still think I, I would argue with the the storming away in a huff thing and then let me Uh-oh. explain. So Uh-oh. my my fourth one is Sucking Vacuum
3: <laughs> by Mark. Why Davis. did I know that game was going to have to be
1: on this list? It's a. Uh, Mark Davis is the designer. Alien Menace is the publisher. It's for three to six players. Basically, it's about six astronauts on a space station and they wake up because ev- all hell's broken loose and the space station is, you know, gonna shut down and you're trying to get to the escape pods, but there's only room for two people in the <laughs> escape pods that you can get. Now, it, it, there is sort of a cutthroat aspect to this game where you're, you know, elbowing everybody out of the way to try to get there in this, you know, time limit as the game sort of winds to its, its crescendo where the sh- ship blows up and you try to get out. But to me, it could be a release valve for all those kind of tensions and things that would build up if you're in that confined space right. that you actually need a game like the game can be a vehicle for outletting that kind of stuff instead of, oh, yeah, that guy made me mad? Well, I'll just jettison his his sleeping pod while he's sleeping (laughs) because, you know, he looked at me funny. Might make it a little paranoid after a while. (laughs) But But I thought, you know, I couldn't go without getting at least one science fiction-themed game in there, and that one just seemed the most appropriate. That one's (laughs) worth almost two thumbs up. I love that. It's a little goofy, but I like it. (laughs) So last board game, of course, is Carcassonne. I, you know it's such a classic game and because it has so many of, i'm just already picturing all those tiles would <laughs> that be all over the place no but you're not employing the garg v principle my friend there's velcro involved you could have like the whole station you know you could have like an ongoing game of carcassonne you know the space they they like check in back home and there's you know the exactly, carcassonne exactly. thing is like absorbed half of the station because they can't quit playing but it has so many expansions you can play it with two people you can play it with all five you can play it in so many different so i want to know who the peons are at nas who are going to actually have to affix all
0: that velcro to <laughs> those hundreds of tiles
1: <laughs> i volunteer see i think <laughs> what they really need for all this in retrospect is just to have a slot for the game sommelier on the crew that I mean, would be that the easiest: all the problems, just trust us it? to
0: bring I mean, what we need to bring come on
1: <laughs> and they're good to go that really just solves everybody's problem, I think, including including ours. I mean, you get us off-planet, so... Yeah, how, yeah, and how cool would an episode from space be? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> might be a little delayed, <laughs> but I think you could handle that. Um, so that's the... Fi- oh, I didn't let you give me a thumbs up or down on Carcassonne. Definitely a thumbs up, as long as there's Velcro involved. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some sort of, you know, better than Magnus but we'll let let Beehive decide on the the Garg V principle. Lastly, I think uh, the the non-board game thing is that it would be essential to have a role-playing game. Cool. Because again, I mean, you could you could use your computer for random number generators. You don't have to have dice. I know that's that's terrible for you, but dice in space. I would love dice in space. (laughs) Yeah, we're still waiting on the first roll for initiative. Dice (laughs) in space. The first initiative roll never ends. (laughs) It's just rolling and rolling. (laughs) But it's never ending. It's ongoing. Um, It would be a great escape from cramped conditions because you're your mind is completely elsewhere when you're playing one of these kind of games and you could rotate. Obviously you'd have to have one person there to sort of run it. So you'd have to have one person that was really into it enough. Or, you know, maybe computers are advanced enough that you can do something, you know, along those lines and have a game master back at mission control. <laughs> that I would can, be goofy. I can just see somebody drawing, like, a dungeon map all over the components of the damn yeah. <laughs> ship. <laughs> so that's the one that it doesn't really fit the board game, but I think it would be an essential... If you were going to have games, it would fill a niche that the other ones don't, because you you can always be thinking about that and your character and stuff. Right. It would really, you know, keep you from just going absolutely... Crazy! I could from do so locked up somebody waking you up at three o'clock in the morning.
0: Hey, I was thinking about my character.
1: Do <laughs> You think it? Go back to sleep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's there's my Excellent. five plus one employing again. Guard V. That's the way to go, man. <laughs> I think NASA is gonna gonna take on this acronym. Excellent. Good choice. So you have a challenge back in your direction now cool. that I have stood stood up for this one. It's time for the challenge to go back your direction. Now, this one is, as well comes from a listener. Okay. Not from the forums. This was just an email. But again, go to the forums, post, because we definitely want other people to, you know, you can refine your challenges even through help with other people to make them even right. more evil on the forums. Um, so this, this challenge comes from listener Tim Medin. Um, He wants to know, it's kind of funny, all these travel things have come together, totally not on purpose in some cases. This one is, uh, you need to find five games that can be played in the car with the driver. This requires that the games have no goober. (laughs) We typically play the alphabet game or trivia games or mind trap, but he wants five new suggestions that, that are not the, you know, I I Excellent. spy with my hey. little eye. Uh, so, and I've been on enough tr- uh, car trips with you that I think you can come up with some some
0: good. <laughs> I've ones, actually so.
1: tried to play games with components while I'm
0: driving. It's, <laughs> I can. Totally it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I missed that trip, and I think I'm glad I did. <laughs> that's that's a fun challenge. i look I look forward to that.
1: Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. First things first, we have some donors, some generous listeners who have donated to the Spiel cause. And of course, if you donate to the Spiel, you get a game theme nickname. Yeah, baby. So we have three to give out. Excellent. This, this episode. So our, our thanks and appreciation go out to Tyler, the ill tempered squirrel, Sigmund. Woohoo! Dale, the penguin, Larson. Excellent. And Quinn the Quiddler Munnerlin. (laughs) Excellent. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Tyler, Dale, and Quinn for uh, donating to the spiel. It's what helps keep us growing and strong and, and keeping the bandwidth bills low. So we totally appreciate your support. And remember, if you want to donate, you'll get a game theme nickname too. Uh, on with on with the rest of the mailbag here. Cool. We got kind
0: of a weird special. little thing in the mailbag, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yes. Because we, we did a little interview with Walter Hunt while he was here visiting. Right. So we went ahead and set up the mics, got that quick little interview, and we're gonna share it with you guys
1: right now. So we are here in the padded cell with uh, a favorite listener of ours, Walter Hunt. He has made the trip not just to see us, because we would lock him up in a padded cell. (laughs) And rightly so. (laughs) (laughs) If that were the case, but he was passing through town and wanted to stop and play games with us two dorks, and we've had a great time. (laughs) Anybody that shows up at your house with a plastic tub of games (laughs) can't be too bad.
3: That, that's everybody we know, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty yeah, I'm, much. I'm, I'm here after traveling to uh, St. Louis, actually, Collinsville, Illinois, for NASFIC, which is what you get when WorldCon, when the science fiction convention is off-planet. It was in Japan this year, and only people who have money went to Japan, and that wasn't me or my wife <laughs> or daughter. Yes, oh,
1: Walter is a, a science fiction author.
3: Right, I have uh, four books out in paperback and and from Tor, and next year there'll be a new thing out from Wizards of the Coast who's doing a new science fiction imprint. Very exciting. Oh, really? Uh, very exciting new book that is about, um, really about the pilgrimage uh, of a 21st century person who's hurled back to the 14th century and has to find his way home. It deals with Gothic architecture and medieval polyphonic music and all kinds of other weird stuff. (laughs) Uh, There'll be information on my blog soon, as soon as we get the contract signed.
1: We'll have a link to that, of course, in our show notes. Absolutely. Right.
3: (laughs) Right. Uh, But I had a chance to set up the trip in such a way that we could do an overnight. My daughter and I here in Indianapolis of all places. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I, I pitched the idea to to Stephen that uh, I could get out here to, to the padded cell, and, and we could play some games. And we had a, we had a really nice evening. We, we went out and had a little dinner and came back, and David and Stephen and Francie and my daughter Aline and I got together, and we played a couple of games. and These are great guys, so give them money. <laughs> <laughs> and then go buy my books and give me money. <laughs> or at least listen to us. <laughs> That's right. Buy yeah. many
0: books and many
1: games. Yeah, we did uh, Numbers League tonight. Numbers um, League in yeah. the underground. On, yeah, on the Underground. On the yeah. Underground.
3: Yeah, the Numbers League is a Ben Crenshaw's game from Bent Castle Games, and it looks like a simple kid's game, but you get two-thirds of the way into it, and then your head starts to hurt. Right. <laughs> so it's it's all good. Um, they have great customer service, I have to add, too. So And and Ben um, contributed a couple of games for Unity Games 13, which is coming up at the end of this week. Uh, Unity Games is a game club consortium out in eastern Massachusetts, where I'm from. And uh, we're going to have an all-day games event, our our 13th one, on Saturday, the 13th of August.
1: You're pretty instrumental in the whole Uh, rise of that event, really, from what you were saying.
3: one of the principals, yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm on the steering committee, for what it's worth. (laughs) That's great. And then On the Underground was really... It was a brain-herder, but in a, in a very good way. <laughs> right. it, it, it's a game you don't want to play just once.
0: I think the right. second go-around, you're going to finally be comfortable with it, but the strategy was just <laughs> whacked
1: out, but very cool. That has to make it onto the list so we can that's true. cross we it off the list, because right. we don't even have that one yet, so that was yeah. kind of the fun part of Walter's Tub O Games. He had several things in there that we hadn't seen, yeah. including a, an original copy of Jenside's Von
3: Teben. yeah, that's a, uh, the Prince Spiele version. Uh, the original rules of which are all in German. <laughs> it was very cool
0: because they had the little um the little disc worthy slide rule That's type right. of things that were very cool. But you actually
3: put together <laughs> their sort of cellophane thing. That's oh it really. Amazing. That was
0: pretty <laughs> high tech for a yeah. self produced little thing like that. Well
3: Peter Prinz made quite a good impression. I actually got the game after playing it at uh at Gathering Friends with Martin Lethwood, who's a friend of of Prince who met him at uh, Essen and he was talking up the game and talking up the game and we played it and it was it was whacked out fun. <laughs> but the new version looks like it's graphically oh, it's far from it's, it's a gorgeous game. Yeah. Um and I'm thinking I, I may have to <laughs> replace the original <laughs> breakdown. Put, put it in the put it in the museum and you know buy the new one. So I you could actually play it. Well, I did that with Funkenschlag with the uh, Power Grid. When Power Grid replaced Funkenschlag it hasn't come out since. Mm. Uh same is true of Silverton, the original uh, two wolf games Uh, version of Silverton is now in storage and we play only the the Mayfair one, because it's much, much yeah. more beautiful. Good better. idea. Makes sense. And did you
1: notice the restraint that Walter showed in not weeping when we uh, pronounced any German words? <laughs> That's
3: true. <laughs> Walter to...
1: actually speaks German pretty fluently. He, he and, just uh, politely corrected You, know, it. you see no. the tears well up in his eyes occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, no. You know. Do, Deutsche
3: Sprache, Schöne Sprache. <laughs> My wife and I speak German over our daughter's head. It drives her absolutely nuts. N-V-T-S nuts, as Mel Brooks would say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Uh, But it's a beautiful language, and, and Jay, if you're listening, you're ruining it. Nobody speaks German anymore. They get English language rules. They don't have to do nothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love getting a copy of the, Ger- the actual German games. It's so much cooler to play.
3: And then you brutalize the and language. Then we, <laughs> <yeah>. well, <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, you can't have it both ways. I mean, come on. If We're, if we're at least making the effort.
3: <laughs> you are. Well, you, well I, I, I said to, to Stephen in an email when we first corresponded that I said, you should call it the, the spiel. And he said, no, spiel meaning to to talk on about games and that it has this, this the, wacky dual meaning yeah
1: so. <laughs> got that that writerly thing going yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: here yeah. in indiana we can hardly
0: pronounce
1: all that german stuff yeah. correctly. yeah i mean we have versailles indiana yeah exactly right out loud well yeah. there's callous maine you know? yeah <laughs> <Ow, ow. laughs> i'm not making this up you know
3: <laughs> i come from a you know of course i come from a a state that has that we say peabody We say Haverhill, and we say Lemonsta. So So you really don't have a leg to stand on either, really. Not a bit. (laughs) But if you go anywhere south of Maryland, they call our state Massachusetts, because they can't can't manage the words. Yeah,
2: excellent. (laughs) Well,
1: thanks so much, Walter, for uh, showing up here on our doorstep with Games in Tow, and and please check out Walter's books, too. Um, I have a couple of them on my to-read list here, and... uh, It'd yeah. be fun to to meet up with you maybe on the east coast next time and and pay a visit out that way and well, see maybe what we, we can get you do. out for unity games oh that'd be yeah. fun that'd be a blast uh,
3: my website is uh www.walterhunt.com and my blog is all that plus blog <laughs> <laughs> who, who would have thought <laughs> go figure i'll um, we'll include that link in the show notes of course and uh you know <laughs> thanks for having me it's good to be had
1: so thanks again to Walter for for taking the time out to stop through Indianapolis on his way back on his little cross cross the country. Well, not yeah. quite cross the country, but <laughs> but it was a pleasure to meet both uh, meet both Walter and his daughter. Yeah, we had a good time playing a handful of games and and definitely check out his his books online. We'll include links to his cool. books uh, here on the Spiel. Uh, so uh, we have a poll to resolve. Excellent. It's been going for quite some time. <laughs> again, here. not unlike
0: some other things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So uh, the old poll was, "What's your favorite activity at a game convention?" Dave, what were the results? Well, not surprisingly, demoing new games
0: comes in at number one with 55% of the votes, which I think everybody—that's everybody's favorite thing. So yeah. that wasn't surprising. After hours gaming. I got 22%, which is cool. We saw those 22% every night at 2 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Well, and you can see
1: 77% of the response is Are all... Gaming. Exactly. Whether it's exactly. In, you know, demoing new stuff or just playing games. <laughs> you, you come to play the games. <laughs> Bingo. Then the, the
0: last four round out the other. the round, You got deals in the dealer room at 13%, um, entering tournaments, 5%, heading to the auction, 3%, and doing some role-playing, 2%. Yeah, no so, costume
1: votes. Yeah. We'll have to get Dave started on that next year. No, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> there, There is a place on the forum now, if you remember. Shh. Scotty uh, from Mississippi has <clears throat> put up a forum post. Dave, <clears throat> Dave claimed that he would glue dice to his head if 500 listeners uh, wrote in and voted uh, that they wanted him to do it. Now we're at two we're we're starting humble, you know, Scotty has voted yes, I have voted yes, and added that I think he should put, have to put D20s and not D4s, because...
0: Don't, don't help
1: them in this, <laughs> please. So, you know, if you want to aid the cause, go to the forums at the Spiel, <laughs> and, you know, we can make that costume uh, thing happen for next year's Gen Con. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so, we have a new poll, of course. Excellent. Since one ends, another one begins. Cool. Um, so, the question is, I'll, I'll read the question, you read the... the the answers or the cool. possible choices here. So for a small trip, let's say a little bit longer than like a long weekend or three to four day trip, how many games do you pack along? Cool. So here's
0: your handful of choices. The first one is none or why the heck are you even listening to this show? <laughs> <laughs> your second choice is one or two. You obviously pack too many shoes. <laughs> three to five, you're obviously a Euro gamer. And last but not least, six plus games, Obviously, that's room for one pair of underwear and a lot of games, baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that we're trying to weight your choices no. on this at all. We're completely unbiased and impartial. <laughs> so log into the spiel.net. The poll is on the left-hand sidebar on the website. Give us your thoughts. You can always write co- uh, comments or suggestions in there as well. So it be interesting to see uh, how how the votes turn out. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, On with actual mail. Cool. (laughs) Ron Barnett sent in a good uh, sommelier challenge that we'll get to later, but he also wanted to let us know about FlatCon, which takes place in Bloomington, Illinois, on October 5th through the 7th. Looks like a nice little local game convention that's taking place here in the Midwest. Uh, So if you live anywhere in the... In the shouting distance from here in Indianapolis, that might be one to check out. We're we are conned out for the moment, <laughs> so we're not gonna unfortunately won't be able to be there, but uh it's definitely from the looks of it, it looks like a, a good one to, to check out. Um, what do you have? I got a great email from a local
0: listener, Philip Klaus. I had the pleasure of meeting Philip a handful of months back at the Game Preserve. And he sent me a email entitled simply Ransom Note. I'm like, what the heck is this? So I open it up, and it was, in fact, a demand for Spiel Dice. And he said, give me Spiel Dice, or I will continue to send pictures like these. I scroll down, and imagine my shock when there is a picture of Puerto Rico, Calus, and Pillars of Earth exploded out of their boxes. Just dumped out, willy-nilly. Exactly. Obviously playing to the OCD tendencies that I sometimes have. Sometimes? Sometimes. <laughs> And so he threatened to continue to send these pictures until we coughed up the spiel dice. Luckily, I think after some whining, I think I got him to, to not send any more pictures.
1: <laughs> you held strong. Yeah. I'm glad to see
0: <laughs> Exactly. The cool thing was, uh, actually, he sent these pictures because they were accepted at the Board Game Geek. Oh, that's hilarious. So there were very cool pictures of artistically
1: exploded games. <laughs> very we'll, cool. We'll either send the link to the Board Game Geek listings or we'll just post them straight Excellent. to the spiel. Hopefully, I'll get that photo gallery okay. up and going or I'm thinking about starting like a Flickr account for this that would be deal cool that maybe I'll give listeners the ability to post to okay. as well as kind of a stopgap thing before I can get the, the Drupal thing up and working on our site. Excellent. Um, but, but we want to see pictures like that. And yeah, it'd exactly. be fun for people to come to the site and see, <laughs> see stuff. Even if you are demanding, <laughs> doing game crimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drive by game crime. No. Um, let's see. Uh, a uh, little thanks goes out to De- uh, Lister Dimitri, who suggested adding the name that game past clue before we give the answer. Or as he puts it, I always want to hear the clue so I can go, oh, or more appropriately, <laughs> do <laughs> when we give the answer, which I thought that was a good suggestion. Great. Um, and I've already mentioned Scotty's uh, tr- uh, trying to get you uh, in trouble here. But he also has a little post. He's he's being pretty creative, uh, wanting people to name the Spiel Nation, the list. Listeners of the Spiel, so there's kind of a funny little post of people coming up with nicknames for listeners of the Spiel. I thought mine was actually pretty decent. I came up with Meeps, you know, instead yeah. of my Peeps, they're, you're, you're our Meeps. They should be Meeps or Speeps. <laughs> so if you have any other ideas, that I, you know, go to the forums and log in and look at that. Um, let's see, do I have the rest of them here? Or, or? I believe you do. Okay. Um, let's see, oh, Robert Ramirez wanted to rally the Meeps, I'll use it here, <laughs> who are fans of the classic board game Dune. Ah. Fantasy Flight Games just announced that they're going to do a new game based on the original mechanics of Dune, but they don't have a license to use the Dune setting, character, or world. Ah. Now, there's a petition that's sort of caught like wildfire at Board Game Geek asking Brian Herbert, the son of Frank Herbert, Mm -hmm. the author of Dune, to consider licensing Fantasy Flight. For a new reprint, a new ah. reissue of Dune, and they've got a, a lot of signatures already, so I have to admit that there's a black mark on my gamer badge that I haven't played Dune, but part of the reason is it hasn't been out, and it's, it's really right. hard to find, and I would love to, to actually be able to sit down and play Dune in the Dune world instead of them making it sort of yeah. generic science fictiony. That doesn't as, sound as interesting Maybe they'll get Mike Doyle to... Oh, that would Do the be artwork. Cool. sweet. <laughs> uh, let's see. Last but not least, it looks like I've got another. Scotty's like making the mailbag left and right oh, here. Hey. Got another one from Scotty. This is sort of a follow up on the cyber board that we were talking oh, okay. about earlier. Uh-huh. Um, he uh, found a, a software application that will facilitate playing board games over distances with different players, sort of in real time. Wow. It's called um uh, here here's his little blurb from his email. In case you missed this post on the geek, uh there's some some geek who's developed an application for online gaming that looks really cool. It's called Zunzu. Uh he has it available for free download. It looks really nice. Um it it, it even involves uh just it's sort of like the cyberboard idea, but not but real time. Okay, um, so you can actually sit down and play with with people. That's my impression of it. I haven't had a chance to look okay. at it yet, but I'll include show notes. So it's kind of cool that all at once we have sort of. Different people telling right. us about these opportunities to be able to play games with buddies or new people, maybe right. listeners. If we get these up and running uh, at distance, you know, uh, we've we've been about travel out, and now we're sort of about bringing the games back home, in in the knuckle bones. That kind of brings us full circle here, and cool. and I think to the end of the episode. <laughs> wow, back back in familiar territory. Feels good to be back in the padded cell. Doesn't we had it? we had no problem getting back to the long-winded. Uh, <laughs> rambling babbles we never lack for more things to say about games <laughs> if there's one thing that you can say about this spiel that's probably it <laughs> well thanks uh so much uh to our sponsor time well spent absolutely um, and uh encourage you to to check out their website uh so without further ado i'm stephen conway and i'm david colson so remember whether it's the roll of a die the turn of a card or the flip of a tile
0: you don't have to play to win you, you just, just have, have to, to play, play. And then they roll out, you're like, how cool is that?